Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Today, I'm very thrilled to be joined by our guest, Rob Falcone. I actually met Rob recently at the Guru Empower conference, and we started geeking out on sales demos and other topics. Rob is the director of sales engineering at Guru, and he's held a range of roles across not just sales engineering, but he also was an AE and also a VP of sales. So he brings a, a very broad perspective. The other thing about Rob is a super humble dude. He never mentioned to me until I sort of stumbled on it that he wrote a killer book called Just Effing Demo. You can fill in the blank on that one that has, I think, 45 plus reviews, most of them five stars and well-deserved. It's a super quick read, which I love when practitioners write books. And it peaked at number one on Amazon, I think, a, a little while back. So Rob, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Jeremy. And it was number one on the sales presentations list. Let's uh, let's not get too carried away. I'm sure there's some legitimate authors that would uh, take umbrage at that. But thank you. Thank you for the intro. Well, there's the humility again. Thanks. Thanks a lot. The first question I'd like to ask people is, what is your favorite sales and or leadership book that you've ever read? I'd be hard pressed to say one, so I'll give you two. From a sales perspective, I love The Sales EQ by Jeb Blunt. Love that one because it really does go beyond the hype and the buzzwords around sales to get down to the actual human element. You know, it's really difficult and awkward to run a discovery motion. It's really difficult and awkward to suggest next steps. So I think... Jeb does a really good job of acknowledging that that human awkwardness and, and gives some really actionable tips to getting past that. Second one, more of a management book, is David and Goliath by Malcolm Gladwell. I've always identified with, with underdogs. I'm from Philadelphia, so it's kind of in my, my DNA. And so what I loved about David and Goliath was it really goes into the idea that David didn't just swing the thing and magically hit Goliath in the head. There really was a plan in place that he executed to take advantage of some of Goliath's weaknesses. And I think that for those of us in sales, it's very much the same thing. Nobody's going to go out there and wing it and be successful. And so this idea that we can be underdogs and find success by executing a great game plan, that really resonated with me. One very much gets at the right brain, sort of human emotional side of success and the other one gets at the left brain kind of rational strategy side two complementary books it seems yeah i guess that that sort of speaks to my path as well i know uh, you and i are both recovering electrical engineers and so i guess that's the uh, the very rational process but the reason why i never really fell in love with that as a profession was i think that the other side of the brain the human part always really excited me and so i guess you're right it, it is a, a nice melding of two different sides of someone's personality. And I think that more and more good sellers are able to really marry that freestyling maverick approach with a sound process that can be done over and over and over again. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Sidebar on the electrical engineering, because I don't get to talk about that much. I, I actually decided I wanted to be a double E when I was 10 years old. For for no reason that I can possibly explain, I had no electrical engineers in my family whatsoever, and I pursued that relentlessly. And then uh, I, I was only an EE for kind of brief time in the semiconductor industry, two two little over two years. And my my reason for leaving was different than it sounds like yours was. Mine was the product development life cycles were eighteen to twenty four months, 
and I just I was just so impatient <laughs> that like I, I don't know that I had discovered my human side yet, but I just had definitely discovered my impatient side. Yeah, it's crazy. I've been listening to uh, another great podcast, Business Wars, and they talk about a number of different companies and products that that go to battle. And and the one I just re- listened to recently was about the the rise of the PlayStation. Uh, and you know, I remember when PlayStation came out in the mid to late nineties, and they're talking about 1988, 89, 90. And I'm like, good God, that was six years before anybody ever laid hands on it. It's the idea that some of these consumer products that we fall in love with are years and years and years in the making. Uh, you're right. I, I definitely don't necessarily think that, that patience is one of my strong suits and wouldn't have the, uh, the temperament to put up with that either. The second thing I ask people to get a little understanding of kind of who they are and where they come from is, is if you can share with us the first thing you ever remember selling. <laughs> you know, I'm sure that folks are probably getting a little window into me just by the nature of identifying as an underdog being from Philadelphia. We'll go even more in the weeds. I'm from Delaware County, which is a pretty blue collar suburb outside Philadelphia. And so kind of have that hustlers mentality, uh, again, in my DNA. And so the first thing that I ever sold were fake Oakley's out of the pro shop of the baseball academy I worked at in my early teens. This was at a time when all the big leaguers started wearing Oakleys and no parent was going to spend $150 for their kids to wear sunglasses to baseball games that are going to break. And so I took my dad's credit card, went on to the shadiest looking websites that (laughs) I'm sure there's someone driving a Ferrari around China called Rob Falcone Sr. right now because that that identity has probably been stolen. But I'd buy them in a dozen. It was $48 for a dozen, sell them for 15 bucks a pop. The only real risk at the time was the the mom coming back with the two O's in her hand that popped off the sunglasses (laughs) and demanding her money back uh, for a 14 year old kid to go spend 48 bucks and make whatever I did couple hundred on each of those that was that was pretty empowering and I think that that's really where you know even when I went from there into college and majored in engineering that's really where I always went back to this idea that the harder you work the more you hustle the more money you make Uh, that was part of it but I guess the entrepreneur side was identifying a need and helping deliver a solution and that's you know from from hustling fake Oakley's in in Delaware County to selling software it's it's definitely stayed with me. I can imagine you with a card table and a suitcase. (laughs) (laughs) You're not far off. So the thing I'd like to start with is actually one of the places you started the book with, which I really appreciated, this concept of a center of mass demo versus a push button demo. Can you expand a little bit on that concept? I had come from client success, so I knew exactly what the product did inside and out. And so I found that when I started to look around at most folks doing demos, it was very similar. People knew the product inside and out. And so what would they go and do? When they were demoing the product, they would go feature, 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 button, 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 button. There was no rhyme or reason to what they showed when for any given scenario. And so ultimately, no one learned what they needed to learn about the products for for the person demoing it to get the outcome that they wanted. A good way to think about it is like Legos. If you were sitting down to build something out of Legos, you've got all these Legos in front of you. If you just kind of start picking up the Legos and putting one here and there, it would take you a long time. And it's up to chance whether or not you'd ultimately get to where you needed to get to within that time. And so if you have a framework for, here's the base of what I need to build, and then I'm going to pop very specific Legos into very specific places, now, okay, you can achieve an outcome within a certain time frame. And so that center of mass demo is all about how do I take all the features 
and really pare it down into what are the most specific three or four that align with what this audience cares about. And that's very different based on the audience, based on the deal, based on the scenario, based on the person. To paraphrase a quote in your book is basically no one's interested in your state of the art features they're interested in because of the outcome it creates. Everyone knows that. And yet, you know, I'm on the receiving end of a lot of demos and I find that they really are those push button demos over and over and over again. Why do you think it is that even though people know what they're supposed to be doing, they still revert to the push button demo? When you think about most sales trainings that you get when you join a company, what's the first thing that you get? You get sat down, okay, crack it open. Here's how the product works. You push this button to do this. You push this button to do that. And so folks, when they go and demo externally, that's what they fall back on. When someone hits you with an out of left field objection, you default to what you know. And what you know in that company for that product is probably product. And so I've always thought that that's probably the reason why at Zoomer, for example, to, to get around this, when we hired new reps, we started with customer stories, problems that they were trying to solve. We immersed people in that for, I think it was about three or four days before we ever got to what the product did. And so I was happy with when our folks went to market, they were leading with outcomes. They were leading with discovery. They wanted to understand what people were trying to achieve and then could back into, well, here's the requirements that you're going to need regardless of who you go with. And here's how Zoomer at the time could help. And it's the same methodology we use here at Guru. I'm curious, what's your hypothesis? We are our own worst enemy when we train new sales executives. It's not only in the onboarding when the first thing that they see is feature, feature, feature. It's the hardest thing for them to learn. So it's the thing that they focus the most on. But every time that there's a new product release, whether you're on an ongoing release schedule where new stuff comes out every week or whether you're on a more disciplined monthly or quarterly or what have you schedule, the training then is, is usually the engineering team briefing the sales team and the engineering team, once again, sort of goes through the walkthrough of the features. And it's not the engineering team's fault. I mean, they're not super duper connected to what the ultimate business outcome is. The salespeople know that better. But I think when we train sales executives, account executives on new features and functionality, we need to keep doing what you were saying, which is you need to frame that training always in the context of those customer stories and the actual business problems that those features will, will solve. Yeah. And when you think about even, you know, what you just mentioned with respect to a product release, one of the things that we talk about a lot at Guru is the different types of knowledge. And so if, if you think about a product, new products release, there's probably three or four different types of knowledge that the team will need to effectively tell that story to the market. There's the process knowledge needed to prospect people who might be interested in buying that product. There's the product knowledge that is ultimately what the product does and how it works. There's the conversational knowledge. How do you talk about the product and the outcomes that it achieves? And then there's the external knowledge, the one pagers and case studies that you can share with the prospect thereafter. So you're right. It's a, a I don't want to say a failure, but it's a challenge with not only upfront onboarding and training, but then ongoing enablement that's really born of just, as you said, how quickly new products can be developed and how much information there is out there for folks to consume both internally and externally. Once you decide the type of demo that you're supposed to give, which as we talked about is the center of mass style demo, the first thing that you have to do with the 
prospect that you're engaging is to set an agenda. So can you talk a little bit about your agenda philosophy and the how-to behind that? Yeah, it's one of the the things that's easiest to do and as such easiest to overlook. Uh, I have it happen all the time that you start chatting with the prospect about baseball or what brought them to the company that they're at. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, 10 minutes in, let's let's get down to it. And you forget or miss that opportunity to really align on what are you going to cover because they said that they need to learn a specific thing in order for you to get the outcome that you want for that specific scenario. And so when I think about setting an agenda, it's usually custom for every specific scenario, whether it be a discovery conversation, whether it be a first demo, whether it be the eighth demo to the security architects that need to check X, Y, and Z boxes. It's what do I need to do so that they get what they need to get so that I get that next step in the process that I'm looking for. Yeah, that you just mentioned the you, they, you framework, which is a, it sounds like it's a guiding principle that you have that applies to a lot of different things. You got it. It's an easy shortcut that I like to keep in the back of my mind um, in order to, to really set the idea that this is going to be different than every other push button demo that this person might have shown. This is going to be a very specific demo aimed at helping them achieve whatever they need to achieve for this specific meeting. People appreciate a seller that has run a process before and can guide them through a process. And the fine line to walk is pushing your agenda versus helping guide a process that helps them achieve an outcome that they want. And so I think at the most tactical level, an individual meeting, it's 100% the the best way to go. What are we going to accomplish? And if it works for both sides, what's the next step from there? That's a small step in the overall process where if you then step back and look at the entire process itself, that's ultimately what you're trying to do. You're trying to, over the course of a number of different interactions, understand what they're trying to accomplish and deliver a solution that does that. And when you can start off literally the first interaction in the first meeting with that approach, people really do appreciate that, I find. And that's what then drives the second, third, fourth, ultimately, to a partnership being executed. So after the agenda, the next thing that you mentioned is the five-minute discovery. Does that presume that there was not a discovery call in advance of the demo? Or is that something you would want to do anyway each time just to reset? It's critical going into almost all scenarios. And I say almost all because everything is so situational. If you had, let's just say an hour long discovery conversation over lunch, where it wasn't appropriate to crack open a laptop and dive into a demo, the next conversation, it might be appropriate to do a two minute, here's what I heard, now let me show you. And so it really is situational. But yeah, I always feel like getting five minutes of information from the prospect with the aim of being more relevant once you get into the demo, I always think that it's the best way to go. Because even if you did have, let's say, a 30-minute discovery conversation, where in that conversation you understand a little bit about their current state, a little bit about their desired state, and ultimately the strategic outcome they're looking to drive with this initiative, that five-minute discovery in the next meeting before you jump into the demo can allow you to clarify a little bit of what you heard in that first meeting can allow you to go deeper and understand how they're looking to measure those outcomes. And so with that in mind, that might change what you show in the demo. 
that might cause you to spend more time on feature A and less time on feature B. So that's where I always find that one builds off the next and that five minutes of level setting and quote unquote discovery can be helpful. I'd love you to frame the alternative, which as an example, you used the going to the bar and ordering a beer. <laughs> can you walk through that? Because I think that just paints such a great picture of what so many demos are like in a way that brings it into like the you know after work, which is, I think, more digestible. <laughs> yeah, I've had I've had some experience ordering a beer or two. Uh, it's something I tell sellers all the time. Think about a scenario where you made a guided purchase, whether it be a beer, whether it be a house, a car. Think about a time where someone helped you make a purchase. And so I always think about any time I go down and I sit down and I'll say, you know, what do you recommend? If someone says, oh, you've got to try this IPA, check this out, boom. I hate IPAs. <laughs> so they go and they make a recommendation based on what their best seller is or what's new in stock, uh, what's old in stock maybe, and they need to get rid of, who knows. But without understanding a little bit about me, how can they appropriately recommend something that I'm going to enjoy or I'm going to enjoy in that specific moment? Maybe I love light beers, but in that specific moment, it's cold out and I want something darker like a porter. And so that one extra beat to understand what I'm after is the difference between me going, ugh, IPAs, hate it, I'm out, versus, oh, yeah, one, I love a porter right now. And two, that was really cool. The guy took a second to, to figure out what I wanted. For better or worse, I think salespeople could learn a lot from bartenders in that respect. Having framed that, then let's talk about the actual how-to on that five-minute discovery. What does that look like? It takes a good agenda, first of all. I'm going to ask you some questions so that I can make the demo more relevant. Grilling people with all these questions is probably going to be uncomfortable. So letting them know the reason why you're going to ask them a couple questions. Letting them know that it's only going to be a few minutes so that you can get into a more relevant demo for them that's more appropriate for what they're trying to accomplish. That's the first thing. And then I love to use open-ended questions that help me understand what are they doing today? What do they want to be able to achieve? And any specific preferences or requirements or to get there. And if you think about in a selling situation, if I was talking to you, Jeremy, tell me a little bit about your sales organization today. I saw you're hiring 22 reps. Tell me a little bit about. Yes. Tell me, you know, let's, let's, let's do this for real. We can role play. Let's, uh, you know, I'll be me right at sales loft and UBU at guru. Let's do a three minute discovery. Yeah. So I saw you guys just quick look on the website. You guys are hiring 22 new sales reps. Uh, what's driving the impetus for, for adding headcount? Yeah, we are, we are growing rapidly. So obviously, in order to sustain 100% growth year over year, we need to increase both our sales capacity and our sales productivity. Got it. Got it. Now, when you think about productivity, what I often hear is that it's not only about getting people ramped up quickly, but how do I get them confident and effective on the phone as quickly as possible. So how do you think about productivity once reps are actually selling? What are some of the metrics you're looking at? We're looking at the activities, the intermediate outcomes, and then the ultimate business results. So for us, activities are things like calls and emails, social touches, texts, ways that they're engaging the prospect to get those initial meetings. And then obviously, we're looking at their conversion rates into opportunity, how long deals sit in stage, and then, of course, their close rate and their average selling price of the transactions. Got it. Based on similar folks that I've worked with, Guru really can help across each of those. 
different parts of the funnel. Since this is our first conversation, I want to keep the demo relevant. Let's focus on that first part of the funnel. And then if you like what you see today, we'll go into deeper dives onto how Guru can help on the rest of the funnel. But specifically on the prospecting side, what do you feel like you need to better equip your team to do when they're prospecting? What are, what are some of the things that you feel like a new rep, one of these 22 folks that you're hiring, is going to struggle with that you might be able to address? One is they struggle with trying to connect the features and functionality that we have to the ultimate business value that the customer is seeking, right? To even understand what those are. So yeah, I think it's both product knowledge as well as what I would call customer knowledge. Got it. Okay. And scene. Ah, yeah, <laughs> perfect. Perfect. To recap, so there's the sort of pain piece. Uh, then there's the future state, the desired future state. And then we didn't get to it, but what preferences do I have and the types of solutions I look for? You know, how am I going to make my decision, right? Exactly. Specific preferences that we have to do it this way or we could never do it that way. We didn't get into that. But yeah, if you take a look at what I learned in two minutes or three minutes that would lead me into the demo, I learned that at a big picture, regardless of the specific tactics and this specific solution, at a big picture, you guys are trying to grow. I think you said you're sustaining 100% growth year over year. In order to do that, you need to hire. So then I asked you a little bit about, okay, these new hires, how do you measure them? What are you trying to actually impact there rolling up to that growth? And you talked about the individual stages of the funnel. And then from a level setting perspective about the demo, I said, well, hold on, we're not going to cover all that. So first conversation, this is where we'll, we'll focus today. And then if you like it, we'll talk about next steps. Tell me a little bit about what you're trying to accomplish within the first part of that funnel, the prospecting. Now, based on that, you told me exactly what I should demo. And so now this is where having a modular demo framework can come in handy rather than, oh God, I have all these Lego pieces. What should I start with? I'm just going to start from the beginning and I'm taking the three most important Lego pieces that are going to speak to how in the prospecting stage, your sellers struggle to connect features and value. And I'm going to show you that. The one big counterintuitive thing I think that some people don't adhere to when they're really in the thick of the demo is that you don't have to address every single question the person asks, because if they're asking a question that does not tie to what their ultimate business outcome is, you don't have to cover it then. You can follow up with that in a more detailed demo later on. Absolutely. And this is where the double-edged sword of great products that show really well and super knowledgeable sales reps that know the product inside and out. This is where it can be a double-edged sword. You get a question, you feel the need to answer. When I struggled for nine months, it was, a, it was a slog. Meeting after meeting would go like this, where it seemed like they were excited. I showed them all the features. I pushed every button. I got through every screen. Why at the end of the meeting do they go, okay, yeah, uh, we'll talk about it and get back to you. Or this is great, awesome, loved it, but this is way more than we need right now. It took me nine months to get to the point where, yeah, you don't need to show everything. You just need to laser in on what they're trying to accomplish in this moment to get to the next step where they're trying to accomplish something bigger and work them along that path that things started to click for me. You actually talk about three different questioning types that you might ask during the demo. The open-ended one obviously is straightforward. The point question is all about turning need into pain, right? Maximizing the effect of anything that they're mentioning. The third type I'd love you to elaborate on a little bit, which is response questions. What's a response question? Response questions are how you keep a demo a conversation. 
there's some good research from Gong that talks about how the top performing reps get more questions from their prospects than lower performing reps because they follow a framework like this where they're ultimately showing less. And so if you're showing less, this is your opportunity to expand on that five-minute discovery. This is why you don't need to interrogate a person for 20 minutes before showing them anything. Because now you've gotten that five-minute discovery, which makes what you show a little bit more relevant. They start to ask you questions, and now this is the opportunity to carry on the conversation. Going back to our role play, I didn't get to ask you much about your preferences. And so at some point during the role play, you might ask me, well, wait a minute, is this only a tool for ADRs? It seems like this would be perfect for prospecting, but I don't think it would work when they're live on the call. And I'd say, well, yeah, you know, tell me about you know, some of your preferences. When you onboard new technology, do you start with one team or do you want to roll it out to the entire team? Based on that, if you say we always start with one team, we'd never start with multiple teams. Cool. All right. Yeah, it can definitely be used by multiple teams, but let's really focus on your ADR team since you just told me that's how you onboard new software. Conversely, if you said, oh, no, you know, we need any new software purchase to be able to be used across the entire team. Okay, great. So we talked about how ADRs can use it prospecting. Let's talk about how sales reps can use it when they're on the phone. And so that response question is ultimately what leads me down the path of, again, being more relevant, helping you do what you want to accomplish, as opposed to when I was shitty, I would just be like, no, of course they're going to be used by everyone. And 50% of the time I'd be right and 50% of the time I'd be wrong. That actually reminds me, I was at a previous company and I did some win-loss calls. And I distinctly remember in one of the deals, the person I was interviewing, the, the prospect that we lost at that company, said they chose the other supplier or partner, right, vendor of theirs, because their rep made the product seem simple and our rep made the product seem complex. There wasn't any humongous difference. It really was in the way that things were explained. Yeah, think about so many of the consumer products that we use. There were MP3 players before an iPod, but they were big and they were heavy and they were overloaded with features. And then the iPod came out and it was like, you click this button and you have a million songs in your pocket, just aligning with what I'm trying to achieve, have all of my music at my fingertips and boom, I don't need to be a rocket scientist to figure it out. Well, I wanted to talk about one more concept before we get to closing the demo. And that concept is we versus you language that is used in the demo. Let's chat about that a little bit. It goes back to folks being product experts and being trained on the product and what it does. And as such, the way they talk about the product is a very we-centric versus you-centric approach. We being, we do this. Our product can collect this type of data. Our product will X, Y, and Z. And really what you need to be talking about is, is you. Uh, you're going to be able to. Users who love this product do X, Y, and Z. The thing that you're going to love is A, B, and C. And so it's a very, very simple thing to do. I mean, listen to your chorus calls. And every time you say we, or in my case, guru, guru does, we do. How can you flip that to say you can? The little graphic that I have hanging on my desk, it's Super Mario with the flower and then Super Mario throwing fireballs. And there's a little arrow pointing to the flower and says, this isn't what your company sells. And then it's another arrow pointing to Super Mario throwing the fireballs. This is. The more that you can talk about your product in terms of how users 
will use it and what they can achieve with it, and then back into the features functionality from there, the more likely people are going to come away feeling, yeah, that's not that hard. I can do that. That fits what we're trying to do here. Going back to the example you gave, where in that loss review, someone says, the other guy made it seem so simple and your guys made it seem so complex. Typically, that's due to, if you really boil it down, one of two things. You, you showed too much in an order that wasn't necessarily logical, or you focus too much on your product instead of your outcome. Now you've done, you know, you've gone through all these incredible steps you've tied to business value. How do you close out the demo? The challenge of showing too much is that you probably have about one minute left at the end of the meeting. Someone's banging on the door to kick you out of the conference room. And so it's like, all right, I'll catch up with you on email. Bye. So many calls end that way. So many end that way. (laughs) And when you click back, click back 15 minutes prior, rewind, what probably ended up happening was there's 14 minutes left. You have, I talk about demo buckets in the book. You have two demo buckets that you haven't gotten to yet because the conversation back and forth has been great. Let me show you this quick thing. It's, it's, It's real quick, I promise. Boom, boom, boom. And now you dump that last thing on them. And okay, maybe it landed, maybe it didn't, but you feel like you had to show it because it's the sexy thing that the product does and you didn't get to. And so you ultimately don't get to summarize what you showed. You don't get any feedback on how the demo aligned with the you, they, you, the they that they cared about. What did they need to learn so that you get the next steps? And then you don't get to align on and lock in those next steps. And so what I typically try to do is I'll set an alarm on my phone sometimes and If it's an hour meeting, I'll set the alarm for 45 minutes just to remind myself, okay, we're at 15 minutes. Am I in the middle of my last bucket or should I cut off that last bucket and not even get into it? And I saw one of our reps do this great yesterday. There was about eight minutes left and the prospect said, hey, could you go in and show, I forget what the last feature was. And credit to him, rather than just giving in, he said, well, you know what? Um, I definitely understand you guys want to see that. I want to do it justice. I don't want you guys to to be overwhelmed because there's so much that can do. Why don't we step back? Why don't we talk about next steps? It sounds like you liked what you saw today. I'll kick off the next meeting with that. And so then you step back, summarize what you talked about today. We talked about this, this, and this. Here's why you guys said it might be important, but let me get some feedback from you guys. How do you guys feel about X, Y, and Z? They'll give you some feedback. And if it's not a fit, you know, great. All right. It's not a fit right now. Really appreciate the time. Let's connect on LinkedIn. Boom. If it is a fit, great. Typically the next steps that I recommend would be this, this, and this. Now on that next call, you guys mentioned that you wanted to cover analytics. We didn't get to that. Let's cover that to kick off the next conversation. How does next week look? So you summarize what you talked about and you leave yourself plenty of time to lock in the next steps that one, are appropriate to their process and to align with how you've taken similar folks through a similar process. I love the courage of the rep you were talking about who just kind of refused to take the bait on additional questions, knowing that if they did take that bait, they wouldn't be able to wrap the demo. This has been super illuminating. I love the how-to tips on demoing. I think people get a lot of value out of this. If people want to learn more or connect with you, what's the best way to reach you? LinkedIn, for sure. Look me up, Rob Falcone. I'm the guy at Guru, so it'll be hard to, to miss me. I'm the only Rob Falcone Guru. And please do feel free to reach out. I always feel like if I can help folks avoid some of the mistakes I made early in my 
demoing career, it'll be time well spent for both sides. So feel free to reach out, feel free to send questions. Uh, would love to get connected. Outstanding. Well, thanks for educating me, Rob. It's such a pleasure to meet you. Again, this has been Rob Falcone, Director of Sales Engineering at Guru. If you get a chance, I'd strongly recommend you check out his book, Just Effing Demo, which you can pick up on Amazon. Once again, I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Laura Hall is our executive producer. Our artwork is by Greg Klingshern. This episode was edited by Peter Lopento. Subscribe to us on your favorite app to learn more immediately actionable best practices from our awesome guests. Thank you for listening to the Hey Salespeople podcast.